And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the reading that Robin just brought to us. And uh, as we think about not just this reading, but the one last week where we've seen Saul become a Christian and now see him, his life changed in the way he lives, I pray that we would not just be looking at a history lesson, and an interesting kind of story about one person who lived a long time ago, but we would be seeing the way that you change lives, the way, the way that you work through your people, and we would be encouraged by that today as people who live for you and are so proud to be your children. So, Father, please, by your Spirit, help us take encouragement and challenge as we look at, continue to look at Saul this day, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we jumped back into the series on the book of Acts. We haven't been in Acts for a while, but we jumped back into it, and we jumped back into it with an incredible passage. We were thrust back into the book with one of the best known and most loved incidents in all of the scriptures. We saw the conversion of Saul. Saul, who will become Paul, who writes so much of the New Testament and becomes the, uh, the great apostle. We saw the original the actual, the literal road to Damascus experience as Saul, this man, met along the road to Damascus with the resurrected Jesus. He saw the blinding light physically. He, he had the experience that changed his life completely. Up until this point, he had seen Jesus, who was, remember, dead uh, so Jesus is dead at this point and, and ascended back to be with the Father. Up until this point, Saul had seen Jesus as a blasphemer. Up until this point, Saul had seen Jesus as a fraud. Up until this point, Saul had seen the followers of Jesus as the enemy. He spent all his time, his energy, his passion, arresting, persecuting and, pu and punishing Christians. But on this road, he saw Jesus with his own eyes. On this road, he heard Jesus with his own ears, and everything changed for Saul immediately. The man that uh, he, he thought was dead was not. The man he thought was a fake was genuine. And the believers that he had hated himself and treated so badly 
were now starting to treat him with love and tenderness. Do you remember Ananias? As he touched Saul and said, Brother Saul. It was a wonderful moment. Remember the the moment that the Lord first worked in Saul. He'd opened his eyes. Literally, the scales had fallen off. He opened his heart. He changed his life. And we were reminded that this wasn't just a one-off incident that happened many years ago with Saul, but the Lord continues to work changing people's lives today. If there's anyone here this morning who's never given their life to the Lord, turn to him. He'll change you. He'll work within you. Well, today we pick up the story immediately after those events. It's straight afterwards. We see Saul after his blindness is gone, the scales have gone, after Ananias has fed him and nursed him back to full strength. So today we see what Saul will do with his new life, what difference being a Christian will make for him as he lives in the light of the Saviour he's met. He's become a Christian. How will that affect his life? What will he do? What will he go through? Now, it's an odd kind of passage. I blame myself. I think I should have put this passage with last week's and done the whole thing. Uh, So it's a kind of odd one. So we'll do it a little bit differently this morning. We're just going to go through the verses and pick out a couple of things, and I don't really have any structure for the rest of it, but we'll see how we go. There's still some good stuff in here. Verse 19 tells us Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Remember, that's where he is. He'd left Jerusalem to go and persecute Christians in Damascus. He's in Damascus spending several days with the disciples. Now, it's unlikely. Our minds sometimes, we read disciples and it jumps to the 12 disciples. It's unlikely that it's them. They're usually called apostles now. In fact, in verse 27, when we get to there, we'll see them called apostles. Uh, So these disciples are most likely normal, run-of-the-mill, general Christians, like you and I. They're Christians that are in Damascus. Will Saul spend some days with them? And verse 20 tells us that while he's there, he went round the synagogues preaching that Jesus was the Son of God. Just let that sink in for a moment about what he was going there to do. Remember last week, he'd gone to see the high priests. Let me go to the synagogues in Damascus so I can pull the Christians out and drag them all the way back to Jerusalem. That's what he wanted. He basically got warrants for the arrest of all all Christians in, in the synagogues in Damascus. Now in those very synagogues, He's there preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a complete 180-degree turn in Saul. And, And verse 21 lets us know everyone was blown away by this. We read, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on Jesus' name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? People couldn't believe it. The change in Saul. But this is Saul now that the Lord has worked in him. This is Saul who's met the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and his life is now different. Well, verse 22 tells us that Saul grows more powerful and he baffles the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. I just want you to note the words used there because you see this a lot with Saul, later to become Paul, remember. When you read through the book of Acts, you will see certain terms referring to his ministry. He baffled the Jews by proving that Jesus is the Christ. If we can fast forward down to verse 29, uh, Claire. This is uh, much later on, but still in our passage, when he's in Jerusalem, we read that Saul talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. Uh, Back to verse 23. So notice the words he used, proved, debated. Later on in the book of Acts, it will say, Paul reasoned and persuaded 
very interesting that Saul didn't just preach. He didn't just shout or share personal testimony or uh, lovely stories. He argued. He made points. He had a discussion, and if someone else said something that wasn't true, he'd point out that that wasn't true and show why Jesus was true. Very good for us to remember that as we share with non-Christians around us as Christians today. The truth of Jesus, the fact that the Lord makes sense in this world better than anything else, that it stands up to scrutiny the gospel and investigation, that you can have a debate and discussion over uh, facts. And th- Now, not taking away from the, the, that it's ultimately the Lord who opens hearts and minds and faith is required, but Jesus is the truth and you can discuss the truth. There's a responsibility for us as Christians to be able to give an answer for what we believe, to debate, to, to, to prove. That's <clears throat> why I always um, encourage Christians to come along to whatever evangelistic um, ministry we have. Christianity Explored we're running at the church at the moment because it will help us as Christians know how to put the Christian message in ways that can be understood and discussed and debated. Good to keep in mind. Uh, Anyway, after verse 22 and the baffling and the proving, verse 23 says, many days passed. But it doesn't say how many days passed. It doesn't say what happened during those days. It doesn't say where those days were spent. But this is where having a knowledge of the rest of the New Testament can sometimes help us fill in the gaps in the book of Acts. And in Galatians chapter 1 The Apostle Paul, this is Saul, gives a bit of a biography of his life. He gives an overview of what happened when he first became a Christian. So I I got Claire to put some uh, verses from Galatians 1 that should be on the screen behind me so that you can look at them. This is Paul writing about this period in his life. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. This is him as a Jew before he was a Christian. This is what we saw last week. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. Yes, he was extremely zealous. But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. Now, do you see how that ties in with our passage? We've got Saul straight away becoming a Christian uh, in in, um, uh, Damascus, and he spends many, many days there, and then he goes to Jerusalem. It's this period. So when verse 23 of our passage says, after many days, we know that means three years. And he spent those three years in a mixture of Damascus and Arabia. Now, we don't know what he was doing, but we presume he was learning from the Lord and he was sharing the good news of Jesus around. So three years happens in those many days in the area of Damascus and Arabia. Well, it's after these three years, many days, that we find in verse 23, the Jews conspire to kill him while he's in Damascus. Uh, Saul, however, learns of their plan. He's got uh, followers, in other words, fellow Christians, and they lower him outside the city wall at night in a basket. 
He then travels to Jerusalem, and this is obviously the 15 days he spent in Jerusalem, mentioned in Galatians 1. But look what happens when he first arrives. And remember, it's three years since he became a Christian. Three years since he's changed and given his life to the Lord and been serving the Lord. And yet in verse 26, when he arrives in Jerusalem, he tries to join the disciples, but they're afraid of him and don't believe that he's genuine. It must have been hugely disheartening for Saul. After three years of following the Lord and putting his life at risk and doing all this, and what a huge letdown and disappointment. But in steps, wonderfully, another brother in Christ to bless Saul. Last week he had Ananias, who would have been just a a huge blessing to him. Now, Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas, as many of you will know, means literally the name son of encouragement, and he would have literally been this for Saul. Barnabas believed Saul. And he speaks up on Saul's behalf to the others. In verse 27, he tells the apostles about Saul's experience on the road to Damascus and how Saul had been doing evangelism ever since then. And it seems that Barnabas's word carried weight, did the trick. Saul then stays with them. And we know that from Galatians 1, that's Peter in particular, Peter personally. And as we noticed before in verse 29, he keeps on with his mission and ministry. He keeps on talking and debating, this time with the Grecian Jews, the Jews that had a a kind of Greek background. He carries on sharing Jesus to them. But again, he faces persecution. Again, his life is at risk and he has to leave Jerusalem. If you think about the beginning of the chapter 9 through to the end of chapter 9, quite a lot has changed. Chapter 9 began with Saul going from Jerusalem to Damascus to go and arrest and punish Christians. The chapter ends with Saul as a Christian, now himself having to escape because people are wanting to punish and persecute him. Interesting, isn't it? The hunter has become the hunted. The persecutor has become the persecuted. Things have totally changed for Saul. But then our last verse, verse 31, is kind of, it steps back and we see things from God's perspective. It steps back and we see the summary of what's going on in amongst all these different people and situations. Verse 31 is great news. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. It's great stuff at the end of the chapter. I think the beginning of that verse is to prepare us for next week's passage. What I mean by that is if you cast your mind back a year ago when we started the book in the book of Acts, we saw a very important verse in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, which I suggested is probably kind of programmatic for the whole book. It sets out the, the structure for the whole book. In chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says that the disciples, <clears throat> in the power of the Spirit will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what the book of Acts tells the story of, how the good news of Jesus affects Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, where there's half Jews, then the ends of the earth to the Gentiles. Well, think about it from our passage, uh, verse 31. We've seen that things are good now, church-wise, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Next week, we're going to see Peter with Cornelius, who's a Gentile. We're going to see how it starts to go out to the ends of the earth. Well, that's the verses that we've got today. Let me um, draw out a couple of things from them. Specifically, I want us to think about Saul from this passage. 
Because as I said at the beginning of our time together this morning, this is where we see how Saul's life changed. This is where we see what will Saul do now that he's a Christian? What will his life be like? What decisions will he make and actions will he take? First thing to notice for Saul is it's all about Jesus now. Now it's all about Jesus. Verse 20, he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what Saul's about. Verse 22, he proved that Jesus is the Christ. That's what he's about. Verse 27, when Barnabas sums up Saul's ministry, he says that he's preaching in the name of Jesus. In verse 28, we're told he's speaking boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. doesn't matter where Saul is or what time or what's going on. For him, it's all about Jesus. Notice what it wasn't for Saul. He wasn't pushing social agendas. He wasn't pursuing personal pleasure or prosperity. He wasn't lobbying local governments or anything else. For him, it was all about Jesus. Proving, debating, explaining, showing. Now, there's nothing wrong with those other things that I just said. Some of them are really important things. But in the end, for us as Christians, is it all about Jesus? Is he truly our first love and main passion? He must be. Or, or else we've got the wrong thing in the wrong position and everything else falls out around it. Jesus first and foremost. I worry today too many Christian leaders in particular uh, talk about everything except Jesus. Uh, I worry that things are changing a little bit for us as a church at the moment. I pray that our main aim will never change. Ever since I've been here, it was before my time to know Christ and to make Christ known. To know Jesus and to make Jesus known. That's what we've got. That must not just be words, that must be who we are. Jesus first and foremost. So first thing that you see in Saul, it was all about Jesus for Saul. Secondly, I want you to see how gutsy Saul is. He's a brave man. I don't know how I could do a point with gutsy in it, but that's what I want to get across. Look at what he went through in these verses, and yet he keeps going. Verse 27, Barnabas says he preached fearlessly. Verse 28, he speaks boldly. Saul is gutsy. In the face of opposition, not just bad media, not just kind of unpopularity, in the face of his life being threatened, in the face of him losing his home and being driven out to somewhere else, he keeps going. No stopping or giving up. In fact, it's interesting, in verse 31, did, did Saul fear anything? I think he did, but he feared the right thing. Have a look at verse 31 in the summary of the state of the church. What's the last descriptor of the church? That they lived in the fear of the Lord. Saul didn't fear the things he shouldn't. He did fear the things he should. He feared the Lord. Now that phrase, fearing the Lord, I don't know whether we describe ourselves like that as a church today. Uh, often that's thought of as kind of old-fashioned or we, we don't like it too much. We'd say we live in love for the Lord or in passion for the Lord, but fear of the Lord sounds a bit odd to our ears. Fear of the Lord is right and important. And Saul had it the right way around. He didn't fear losing his life. He didn't fear unpopularity. He feared the Lord. When you know how great the Lord is, you should fear him. When you see someone that incredible and awesome, that is someone to be feared. 
It's a right response. We have a choice in life to fear man or to fear the Lord, to fear the creation or to fear the creator. Saul knew and he feared the right one. Now, fear isn't the only thing. That's the wonderful thing about the Lord. The one who is worthy of fear is the one who loves us and holds us and has given his son for us. And so fear, the beginning of fear, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We don't stop with fear, we move on. But it's a, it's a great thing. Do you know who never fears the Lord? People with a small view of God. Or people with an inflated view of self. Paul didn't have that. Paul had met the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the road. He knew that this was the one who defeated death and was in charge of all things. He didn't have a small view of God. And Saul was the one who became known as Paul. What does Paul mean literally? Little, small. He didn't have a big view of himself. He feared the Lord. When you see the true glory of God, when you see the true light of the Lord, his goodness and holiness, fear is right. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom, as Proverbs puts it. But it's only the beginning because we move straight into knowing that we're loved by that God and held by him, and, and that brings confidence and assurance. But fear is wise. It's appropriate. Saul was brave when it came to the things of this world. He was fearless and bold and relentless and gutsy. I hope that we will be. We need to have resilient Christians today. People that are able to withstand the buffets of the world, the trials that come, the hardships and the opposition. And sometimes we will be encouraged through those by God's spirit as he works within us. That's a blessing. Sometimes we'll be encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ around us. Saul had that, Ananias and Barnabas. Sometimes we'll hopefully give that to others. But sometimes we've just got to keep going and persevering when it seems bleak or dangerous or awful. Be gutsy like Saul. So Saul's all about Jesus. Uh, Saul's very gutsy. I wish I could put that in a better way. <clears throat> but the main thing, the last thing I want us to see from this morning is I want you to think about the big picture of Saul's life here now that he's become a Christian. Put together... We've just in these few verses seen the first three years and 15 days of Saul's life as a Christian. We've seen him spend time in Arabia, Damascus and Jerusalem as well as traveling and he's now leaving to go to Tarsus. How would you sum up his first three years and 15 days? How would you rate it? I would say pretty lousy. Now if you don't want to go that far maybe you think I'm glass half empty or I might be then at the very least, I'd, I'd contend with you and I'd argue with you. And if you want to see me after, we will argue about it. Uh, I would say it's at the best mixed, right? So for every verse 22, when Saul is getting more powerful and baffling people, you've got a verse 23 when people are trying to kill him. That's at the very least mixed. Think about what he goes through in these verses. He has people literally trying to kill him. He's lowered out of a basket outside the city um, at night to escape with his life. And before you think, oh, that's awesome, I, I imagine the Mission Impossible theme humming as it, as it happens or the MacGyver theme song kind of working out. When Paul talks about this incident himself, and he does in 2 Corinthians 11, when he talks about what it was like, he says all it did was show his weakness. He was humbled by this. It was humiliating for him 
to scuttle away at night in a little basket being lowered down by other people. This is Saul, who had one of the best backgrounds and CVs and education portfolios that you'll ever find. This is Saul, who thought that he was going to saunter into Damascus and put the fear of God into everyone, and he's now having to hide at night in a little basket to escape with his life. It was embarrassing for him. But now people are plotting to kill him. He's having to run away to protect himself. Then he arrives in Jerusalem, and what happens there? Well, at least I'll be amongst friends here. They don't believe him. They don't trust him. They don't think he's genuine. Can you imagine the pain of that from people that should have been his family, brothers and sisters in Christ? After three years, really? You don't believe me? As wonderful as the touch and words of Ananias would have been in last week's passage, few things worse than the opposite. When you're blessed by brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a great thing. But the wounds that come from brothers and sisters in Christ can be the most painful. Some of you in this room will know what I'm talking about. This would have been awful for him. Then, verse 29, the Jews in Jerusalem also try and kill him. And he ends up now having to leave Jerusalem to go back to Tarsus. Great life, Saul. Become a Christian. And what happens? He faces persecution. He faces other believers not trusting him. He faces having to hide and escape with his life and having to move repeatedly and not have a home. He faces now being the hunted. He faces now being the persecuted. Saul had met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life had changed into what? Well, not ease, not plenty, not pleasure. What we see in just these few verses, which are a snapshot of these first three years, is life in its wholeness. We see the ups and the downs of Saul. We see the highs and the lows, the successes and the failures, the gains and the losses. And it's easy to miss that because you can, you can read through those verses and just focus on verse 31. Just focus on the snapshot that God gives of the whole picture. Have a look at it again. The church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. And we can think, well, that's good. This was a good period of time. Well done, Saul. You've been doing wonderful ministry. But Saul didn't have that picture. Saul wasn't thinking, well, at least it's a time of peace, as he was being lowered out of a basket, out of a hole in the wall at night in fear for his life. He didn't know that things were going great when... uh, when his Christian fellow Christians didn't believe him or trust him. He would have just been feeling with a broken heart. He just would have been wrestling with uh, doubts and lack of comfort and security. Was his life better since becoming a Christian? Yes. Yes, because he had Jesus. Yes, because he'd met his Saviour. He now knew what true forgiveness was and what a secure eternal future was. Yes, because he knew what eternal life was all about now and he knew that he had a good shepherd who he could trust, who knew him, held him and would bring him home. He didn't know what the future held, but he knew the one who held the future. He knew he had Jesus. He went through terrible times, but he had Jesus. This is why humble was this is why Saul was humble. 
uh, despite his great beginnings. He learned straight away. If he'd thought that he was going to be one of those celebrity converts that just gets on the circuit and tells us, he found out very, very fast that wasn't going to be him. If he thought he was just going to be able to rely on himself and his own gifts and things like that, he found out very quickly it wasn't going to be him. This is why Saul was humble. This is why Saul was content despite his circumstances, as he writes in Philippians. Because he had Jesus, no matter whether he had plenty or little, whether he was hungry or well-fed. He had Jesus. And I want to encourage each of us here today, we're not Saul, but we have this. We have Jesus. You and I don't always see or feel verse 31. We don't always just see the big picture and what God's doing and everything. We just feel what we're going through at this particular time. And often we're on ups and downs like Saul. And sometimes the downs are so low and so long and so lonely, we don't feel God's hand in it or see his hands in it. We don't see where it's moving to or what he's doing through it. So all we're left with is the questions and all we can see is the circumstances we're in the middle of. But you've got Jesus. And I'm saying to you today, trust him. Whether you can make sense of it or not, whether you understand it or not, you've got Jesus. And when you're finding things tricky, don't try and work out the circumstances. Remember who you've got as a saviour. Remember who you've got as your king. Remember what he's like and what he's done. Trust him and rest in him. I point this out because Saul became a Christian and I think life became harder for him. I think life became more dangerous for him and unstable for him. He faced more hurts and trials, but he had Jesus, and that changed everything. Verse 31 was the reality, but it wasn't Saul's experience. That'll be the same for you and I at times. That's why for Saul, everything was about Jesus. That's why for Saul, he could be so gutsy. That's why he persevered and kept going. Jesus was worth it. Jesus is worth it. And I point this out because today we're often far more likely to hear, become a Christian and your life will be great. And there's a truth to that. But there's also, that's not the full picture. Jesus used to warn people, (laughs) following him, taking up your cross and following him. God, remember last week, Jesus warned uh, Ananias that Saul would suffer. We've got to know as Christians it becomes harder. And if we don't think that, when we go through the difficult times, we think, well, there must be something wrong with me or there must be something wrong with the Lord. No, 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 no. There are times in your life where you've got to stop asking why. You've got to stop trying to understand verse 31 and you've just got to bite down and say, I've got Jesus as my Lord. I've got Jesus as my saviour. I've got Jesus as my friend. I've got Jesus as my brother. I don't understand everything, but I know what he's like and I trust him. And I know he loves me and I know he's got me. and I know I'll keep following him, whatever. That is the joy and the privilege of a Christian. It's what Saul did. I pray it's what you and I will do. If you'd asked Saul three years and 15 days after his conversion, was it worth it? Was it a good decision? Now that you've been run out of every town you go to, you're lowered in baskets out of walls at night, you've got Christian believers who don't trust you, is it worth it? I'm absolutely convinced he'd have looked you in the eye without blinking and said, absolutely, because Jesus is worth it. I love the chance to see Saul. It's great that we've been able to spend a couple of weeks on him because despite the fact 
he had a conversion so different from ours and a ministry so unique. He's quite like us. He had a life full of difficulties, full of ups and downs, highs and lows, but he had Jesus. So do you and so do I. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to look back at this servant of yours, Saul, and to see the way you worked in him and through him, and for the encouragement that can give us. Lord, I pray particularly for any amongst us this morning that are really feeling the lows, really finding the difficulties hard, and not able to see or feel perhaps your hand in it and through it, and just left with the questions. Father, for any of us feeling that way this morning, show us Jesus. Remind us of the wonderful joy and privilege it is to have him as our saviour and as our brother. And Father, help us to continue to trust in you, to love you, and to serve you all the days of our life. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.